0: Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that, and if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You could do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day.
1: Hear now the word of God. A <laughs> little bold, inclusive, relevant, Leviticus. The Lord said to Moses on Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, Once you enter the land that I am giving you, the land must celebrate a Sabbath rest to the Lord. You will plant your fields for six years and prune your vineyards and gather their crops for six years. But in the seventh year, the land will have a special Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You must not plant your fields or prune your vineyards. You must not harvest the secondary growth of your produce or gather the grapes of your freely growing vines. It'll be a year of special rest for the land. Whatever the land produces during its Sabbath will be your food for you, for your male and female slaves, and for your hired laborers and foreign guests who live with you, as well as for your livestock and for the wild animals in your land. All the land's produce can be eaten. Count off seven weeks of years, that is, seven times seven, so that the seventh week of years totals 49 years, then have the trumpet blown on the tenth day of the seventh month. Have the trumpet blown throughout your land on the day of reconciliation or atonement. You will make the fifteenth year holy, proclaiming freedom throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It will be a year of jubilee for you. Each of you must return to your family, or return to your family property and to your extended family. This is the word of God for the people of God.
0: Morning, y'all. Scott, thanks for your testimony and sharing how. uh, Wouldn't it be nice if our testimonies could be look at my life and now it's perfect, but it's really look at my life I offer to you, how God is working in it, and who knows what the future holds? my name is Brittany, I'm the pastor here, and I, uh, I, I tell you, when I read this scripture, when I hear it, <clears throat> in me is a sermon that is to be preached to farmers, um, that is to be preached to my people. I come from rural Illinois. Um, but as I was just really wanting to write that sermon this week, I realized that it it's not relevant to our like I could be like, hey y'all, let the land rest. And you'd be like, uh okay. Um and so, you know, let's set that aside and or I've set that aside. And um I'm gonna invite you to think about what it means in our context in urban Chicago to let the land rest, to take Sabbath and to honor what God is calling us to do. So Let us begin with prayer. I invite you to just breathe in deeply the breath of God. Let it fill your lungs. I don't hear any breathing, y'all. Let's try that again. Breathe in deeply and exhale. And as you continue to breathe, let me pray. God, May the air in our lungs be a reminder that you are ever present with us, calling us into rest and renewal in this world of chaos and clutter. As we breathe in, may each breath remind us that you are our quiet center. In this time, may our hearts be opened May our minds be open. May my words be a reflection of your call in our life. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, y'all. You keep breathing. Remind and be reminded of, of of God's presence in your life while I while I talk. So I remember. Uh, when I was a sophomore in college, I had to take poli-sci 101. In my political science professor, first of all, I was scandalized by him because he was the first out Democrat I'd ever met in my life. Um, and I mean that out like out as a Democrat, not out as a gay Democrat, but just like out as a Democrat. He was the first Democrat I ever met in my life, so I was slightly scandalized by him. And he um, asked this question that is, continu- continues to be a question that um, I reflect on today. And he said, I noticed that, you know, we used to be called citizens of the United States. And now we are often referred to as consumers of the United States. So what are we, he asked? Are we citizens or are we consumers? And uh, we had this great conversation because you know if you're a citizen it, it implies that you are building up a community that you're participating with other people and that you're working towards something together right uh, that was his take because he wanted us to invest in government right if you're consumers it implies that your agency and your, pur- your purpose is to buy things to consume them to it's it's very individual sounding right and it's it's a very um, like what's in it for me So we had this debate, and in the political science class, of course, citizen won out. But as I continue to reflect on this question 20 years later, um, that was an attempt to not let you know my age. uh, As I reflect on this question years later, uh, I wanna bring theology into it. And I wanna say that actually, The answer is that we are neither citizens nor consumers. We are children of God. That our identity is not to consume things. It is not to be a citizen of things. Our identity and purpose is a human being made in the image of God. That means that we can be um, citizens of God's vision And God's reign, it means that we can be consumers in God's economy. But those are different things than citizens of the United States and consumers of the United States. In this world of constant messages about what we are to buy next and what we are to do next, um, all because it's part of our civic duty or um, because that's just what we're supposed to do, It is easy to forget that our primary identity, the thing that should ground us in all that we do, the thing that should bring us joy, the thing that gives us energy to do resistance, comes in the naming and claiming waters of baptism. That we are a child of God. So easy to hear and hard to live into. Which is why we've been doing this sermon series called Unplug, which is about finding Sabbath. It's about setting aside and resting one day a week. Y'all, two weeks ago, I challenged you. I challenged you to um, get rid of all electronic devices for an entire day, and everybody looked at me scandalized. And so then I backed up and I said, "How about sunup to sundown?" And then y'all continued to look at me scandalized. And I said, how about, I think I said 12 hours then, and then you still looked at me scandalized. And I said, how about six hours? And I got a lot of hands that said they would try it. And then last week during communion, I asked, and um, nobody that was there the week before showed up. (laughs) Not really. There were some people. And they said it was hard. They said it was hard to live... And rest without any sort of electronics to just be in the presence of God and community for six hours. It's hard. We have forgotten how to have Sabbath, how to just rest. We have bought into the idea that we are human doings and not human beings. And so it is in Sabbath that we can, as one song says, come and find the quiet center in the crowded life we lead. It's in Sabbath that we can fully rest in our identity as human beings made in God's image. It's in Sabbath that we can recharge because it's hard to engage in this world, is it not? But the problem is we live in this world of information, so much information telling us what to do and how to do it. Um, There's always another article to read. There's always another perspective to hear. There's always another class to take, right? Yeah. And so um, most of you are like, yeah, Brittany, I get it. We need to do Sabbath. I just need to read one more article about how to do it. Or I just need to do, you know, one more thing before I practice it. And then, so what ends up happening is we don't practice it. And it's kind of like, here's two sort of analogies that come to me. It's kind of like French braiding hair. So here's the deal. I know how to French braid hair. I have seen my friends do it. I get the concept of pulling the stuff in. I have never done it. Right, because it's too hard. But I know how to do it. You get the, but I haven't practiced it. Or um, it's like working out, Jarell. <laughs> you know, I get why you're supposed to work out. I know all the benefits of it. I've read all the studies, right? I know about it. <laughs> I know where the gym is. <laughs> I have shared before that I was a member of a gym for three years and didn't walk into it. <laughs> right? Although I did, I, I do have to share I just started a senior yoga practice, which is really great. I'm going <laughs> to class with a whole bunch of um, seniors. It's awesome. Um, so, <laughs> so I know how to do it. But I'm not. And I think the same is true for Sabbath, right? Like, we know all the reasons, but we have all these reasons why we don't have time to do it. But the thing is, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to try one more time and tell you why Sabbath is so important. and Maybe you'll be inspired. When we rest before God in quiet reflection, with intention, we are changed. We are changed and we are fueled to become change makers in the world. So Sabbath is an act of resistance in this world of crazy and chaos. In this world that says you are a human doing, Sabbath is an act of resistance saying, no, I am a human being rooted into the divine maker. It reminds us that... I, I get this way. I look at my Facebook feed or Twitter feed, and man, there is so much pain in this world, right? And there's so everywhere I turn, there's a different cause to take up. And so, Sabbath reminds me that I am not the Savior of the world, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And that In Sabbath, I can rest and find my identity in God, and my call, my sense of vocation and purpose. And then when I come back into this world, I don't have to take on the 57,000 causes that are there. I can trust that God is placing a call on everybody's life and what I have passion and vision for I can take up, right? Does that make sense? It is in Sabbath that we find that rest and that identity. It is also in Sabbath that we catch a vision of something larger, of of God's economy, God's governance, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the queendom of God, whatever you want to call it, the kingdom of God, all these names for what what is God's dream for this world. And so it is in Sabbath rest that we catch that vision it's a vision we see in our scripture passage today, and it is a vision that is completely countercultural to everything we know and see in the world that we live in. I want to show a video that um, I, did, I forgot to preface this um, in the last service, but this is um, a woman who was featured in our One Book, One Church book club um, in the Rescue in Jesus book, um, Sharon Harp- Harper, Lisa, Lisa Sharon Harper. Um, so this is a video from... For her. Now it's interesting because if you dig into this, and I know y'all are going to go home and dig into the idea of jubilee, so I'm just going to tell you right now that many scholars think that jubilee actually never got lived out. Yeah, so, so then, then it becomes easy to say, oh yeah, Brittany, that's just pie in the sky, and then there's real life. So I'm living in real life. But I think, uh, and it didn't get lived out because uh, they know that the Landovers didn't want to give up their wealth, right? Sounds familiar. But I think that that does a great disservice to God to just throw this vision off as pie in the sky. Because this is the vision of God that we haven't been given. It is what we see that God wants us to live into. This is God's economy, God's, all, all those words I used to describe, right? And so uh, if we sit in Sabbath, we become confident in our identity as God's children and the call and vocation that God has given us to then uh, live out that vision in the world. I'm going to sneeze, come later. So we get to stand at this intersection of Christ and culture where we see the world that we live in and we have this vision of God that is so much more. And we get to, in strategic ways, push up against what's happening in our world and bring about God's vision. So I want to I give you a couple of examples of this because it's happening all around. With ordinary people, it happens. Y'all are probably doing it and you don't even realize it. Okay? So I'm just going to throw some examples out and I invite you to think about, about yourself too and in, in, in the ways that you might be living out God's vision um, through acts of resistance. So the first, all these people start with M just by chance, which is kind of fun. So the first is Melissa. If you all have been around UVC for a while, Melissa is a member of UVC and she worships in the South Loop. She's been coming to UVC probably almost since the beginning. And um, over the course of of time and and nurturing her faith and um, doing small group study and that sort of thing, she has become very convicted about the environment and she started an eco-justice team down in the South Loop. About 18 months ago, their focus was really on helping the UMC divest from fossil fuels. She was working on legislation at our um, conferences and advocating to help divest from fossil fuels. Right now, um, the UVC South Loop Faith in Action team is partnering with an organization called Faith in Place that focuses on um, sustainable agriculture, on energy, on water preservation, and, and on advocacy work. So last week when I was thinking about um, the scripture passage, I, I thought of Melissa and all the work that she's doing, and I wrote to her with the scripture passage and asked her to reflect on it, and it Unfortunately, it didn't quite fit into the sermon that I ended up writing, but I was thinking, Jarell, maybe you could post it on Facebook her reflections from this week, because they're beautiful. But when I asked her why she does this work that she does, here's what she said. When I see God's beautiful earth literally laid to waste, my heart breaks and it gets angry And I know I cannot sit by and watch this happen. I'm motivated by preservation of all life, not just human life, but by the beauty that God created. Do you see how her faith, knowing her identity as God's beloved child and feeling convicted about something has led her to these acts of resistance to say, you know what we do in normal life, I'm going to just push up against that a little bit and try to make change, right? So the second is uh, Mary and Adam Arntz. You all may maybe know them from from Andersonville here. They have been bicyclists for a long time, um, and then due to various reasons, they ended up getting a car a couple of years ago uh, with this new little baby boy that they have, and life is a lot easier with a child when you have a car. But this past summer in July, they... um, Took a pledge at the Tour de Fat, which is a bicycle beer-themed carnival that was hosted here in Chicago. Anybody go to it? Apparently, there were 10,000 people at it. Yep, maybe you saw this. Then they uh, donned in yellow T-shirt. They pledged to give up their car and they got a bicycle instead. And. Adam shared that they wanted to do it because they wanted to simplify their life. So they are, have pledged to live car-free for the next year. Um, also, they said that if you're interested in knowing more about being bicyclists in the city, they would love to talk to you. So um, look for them. But I also know that Mary and Adam care deeply about the environment. Uh, Mary, uh, back they, Mary helped start UVC Andersonville and back um, then she was doing an organic garden with Bethany. They, they planted one just out here. Um, Mary has a deep passion for preservation and care of the earth. Um, and they know as they have been grounded in that identity and feel called to simplify their life and not have a car, they also know that they get to do that out of, of the privilege of living in a neighborhood that's accessible by public transportation and their job is close, so that as they sort of take on and, um, more uh, things that simplify their life, they realize that the the job of resistance grows bigger, right? That they, that they also need to advocate for... Um, places where there's food deserts. They happen to live close to a grocery store, but other people don't have that luxury. Um, So their acts of resistance gives them the capacity to see where more work is needed in God's vision. So Melissa, Mary, and Adam. Also, I have a seminary colleague named Melva, and Melva uh, has a ministry. It's a Facebook Live ministry. um, Down, uh, She lives in Atlanta, Georgia, and every Sunday morning... While she's making breakfast for her family, she has what's called the Pink Robe Chronicles. (laughs) She has a really cool pink robe. And uh, she has created a community of care for people who are on the front lines of justice and resistance movements. Um, Many of the folks that sign on to this Facebook Live are um, people who are prophets that are advocating for Black Lives Matter. They are social workers that are caring for children every day. They are pastors in churches. um, And it is out of her rootedness and her identity as God's child that she sees and has made this call to create space for all the justice seekers in the world. It's really cool. You guys should friend her on Facebook and join in. And she prays for the people and gives them strength to go out and be justice seekers in this world. The last example I want to talk about is our Messiah. I had to call him Messiah instead of Jesus, right, to keep with the M thing. In Scripture, in the sixth chapter of Luke, you will see, um, if if you're looking for a, a Scripture passage to read this week, I know sometimes you think, I want to read the Bible, and then it's just a little overwhelming. You don't know where to start. Start with chapter 6 this week. It's a really great um, passage to kind of dive into. In it, you'll see two times Jesus, out of his own rootedness as, you know, the beloved son of God, he uh, is able to kind of resist and push just a little bit on Sabbath. Um, The first time his disciples are uh, plucking grain and eating it on the Sabbath day, which was not allowed. And when he got questioned, Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Claiming that the Sabbath is more than just following rules, right? And then secondly, uh, it says on another Sabbath, so I don't know if it's a week or you know, a month later, um, he sees a man with a withered hand and he heals that man, saying that it is better to do good than no good on the Sabbath day. And so in those small acts, we see Jesus, rooted in his own identity, be able to resist the cultural values of that time, to be able to do things that God calls him to do. Y'all, this is what Sabbath time does. If we rest, if we take a break, we have the capacity then to push boundaries and cast a larger vision of God's reign. Because that rain is a place where no child has to want for food. That rain is a place where no woman walks down the street fearing sexual assault. That rain is a place where no black man fears being shot for having a taillight out. That rain is a place where our earth is cared for and replenished as we get food from it. That rain is a place where relationships that are broken can become healed. That rain is a place where every life has worth, not because of what it produces or does, but simply because that life is a child of God. So y'all, if we can't rest, we can't see this vision, and we're going to get tired And we're going to feel like the whole way of the world is on our shoulders. We're going to forget that there's already a savior of the world. So I invite you to rest this week. I don't know what you have planned today, but maybe cancel it. Or maybe use it as an opportunity to share with friends. And rejoice in what God is doing in your life rest. Rest in God's abundance. And then grounded in that vision, go forth to bring about a small amount of change in your life. Amen.